Well, hey everyone, I'm Pastor Judd Wilhite, and I wanna thank you for joining us today. You know, Central's a place where it's okay to not be okay. And we are so glad that you're here. I hope you enjoy this message. All right. Welcome. Hey, it was a big week for the Vegas community. Our Vegas Golden Knights won the Stanley Cup. Here at Central, probably an even bigger victory than that, and not probably, it was. We had hundreds of students come back from our youth camp, absolutely changed by Jesus for the better. So thankful for that. And then today's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house. Let's give it up for them. So thankful that you're here with us this weekend. I love being a dad. I'm a dad to three girls, and I love being a girl dad. I, one of the things I love being a, about being a girl dad is I love providing for my girls' hopes, their dreams, their wishes, their wants, their needs. And within reason, there are some big requests that they have that I can't fulfill, but if I can provide, I love being able to provide. And one of the opportunities I had to do this was this last spring. Uh, it was right before my daughter Cosette's ninth birthday where my wife Laura came to me and she said, what Cosette really wants for her birthday, she really wants a bunk bed. I said, okay. And she said, and it works out because Quinn, who is my 12-year-old daughter, she no longer wants her bunk bed that she has. She's tired of climbing up into a bunk bed. She just wants a normal bed like Cosette has. So what's the natural thing to do? Just switch the beds. All that's, that's all I have to do. No reason to go buy new beds. And so one day as they're leaving for the day and they're gonna be gone all day, I start to make the switch so that we can surprise them when they get home. So I start deconstructing these two beds and switching them. And after I'd gotten the bunk bed moved into Cosette's room, my wife Laura comes up and she's like, hey, all the surrounding furniture in here that was around the bunk bed, the dressers, the nightstands, all that, it works better with the bunk bed. So we need to move that to Cosette's room. And because then Cosette's gonna have too much furniture in her room, we need to move all her old stuff into Quinn's room. And so I get to work deconstructing this furniture and none of it's light, none of it's easy. I couldn't just move it out of the room because it's heavy. It's not gonna fit around the doorway, the corners, all the things in the hall. So I'm taking it all apart. And a lot of this furniture is Ikea furniture. And if you've ever put together Ikea furniture new, you know how difficult it is when you have the instructions. Try taking apart Ikea furniture and then reassembling it with no instructions. I mean, it was a full day of taking apart, moving and building furniture. And when I was working on the last piece, when I was finally getting it together, it dawned on me. Why didn't we just have the girls trade rooms? Like Cosette, surprise, this is your new room. And Quinn, surprise, your new room. No furniture would have needed to be moved. I went to my wife, Laura, just too late with this idea. She's like, yeah, that, that would have worked. But then we would have had to move their clothes. Think and move their clothes. I would have moved the clothes all day, let alone from moving furniture and rebuilding. Uh, but that's just dad life. And today we're gonna to be looking at a, a dad and a builder who faced a much bigger project than I did. And we've been in a series called Keeping the Faith where we've been looking at some of the heroes of faith found in Hebrews 11. Because Hebrews 11 is a, a chapter described as the hall of faith. It's where we can be inspired by the great acts of faith of those who have gone before us. 
So let's take a look at which hero of faith we're gonna be learning from today. And so we're gonna be in Hebrews eleven seven. And when we get to the red word, say it out loud with us. It might give you a hint as to who we're talking about today, but it says, it was by faith that who? Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. So today we're gonna explore the faith of Noah, who, by the way, became a first-time dad at the age of 500 years old. There's times that I think being a dad at 40 years old is tiring. I can't imagine what just getting started at 500 would feel like. And back in Noah's day, God looked over the whole earth and he saw that it had become rotten and God was heartbroken. But there was one person that stood out. Out of everyone on the earth, one person that was considered by God blameless and that person was Noah. Now, that, that doesn't mean that Noah was perfect. That doesn't mean that Noah wasn't without his hangups. Noah wasn't without his sin. But we're told that Noah walked in close friendship with God, which was a far cry from anyone else on the earth at this time. And so God told Noah, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, Noah, I'm fed up with the corruption. I'm tired of the violence. I'm gonna drown the earth with the flood. I'm gonna wipe out every living creature, and I'm gonna start with a clean slate. Except for you because you're a righteous man, because you walk with me, I'm gonna rescue you and I'm gonna rescue your family. I'm trying to imagine Noah's conversation around the dinner table with his family that night. Like he gets home, he sits down, his wife goes, Noah, how was your day? He goes, ah, it was all right, I, I talked to God today. Oh, you talked to God, how's God, how's he doing? Well, I wouldn't say he's doing very good. I would say he's a little mad. Actually, I would say he's a lot mad. He's, he's pretty angry. So angry, he's just gonna wipe the whole earth out with a flood. Picture his boys, his sons, like jaws dropped, like, oh, a flood. A flood sounds bad. Oh, a flood sounds real bad. Hey, hey, dad, 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 what's a flood? Like, at this point, we don't know that they knew what rain was or had ever, they hadn't ever experienced a flood before. So Noah had to sound like a crazy person, but I just picture him reassuring his family, it's okay, it's all right, we're, we're gonna be okay. All we have to do is build a boat large enough for me, your mom, you three boys, your wives. Oh, and tell everyone to pack light because we have to get two of every kind of animal on the face of the earth onto this boat as well. Like this is just like some crazy talk coming out of Noah's mouth to his family. But God had a plan to rid the world of corruption and evil because his plan was to save the world. And Noah is the unassuming hero in this plan. See, God entrusted him with something unimaginable to build a boat that would save the human race and all the animals that occupied it. And there's nothing that suggests that Noah is ready for a project like this. We, we're not told that he has any passion for construction, that, that he had some background in building things. We're not told that he has any credentials in engineering, no skills in being the captain of a ship that he had ever even been on a ship, that he even knew what a boat or a ship was. We don't know any of that. All we know is that Noah finds favor with God because of his faith. It wasn't by merit, it wasn't by award, it wasn't by achievement, it was because of his faith. And then he would spend the next part of his life growing up to become a builder. And today I wanna challenge you to think about this. Are you growing up or are you just growing old? 
You see, I ask myself this all the time. Am I growing up or am I just growing old? Our spiritual maturity, our spiritual growth, it has nothing to do with our physical age. We can be very old in our physical years, but yet very new or very young in our faith. Or we could be really young in our physical years, but very mature in our our spiritual growth and our faith. How can we stop just drifting through this life, just getting older and start living in a way to grow up in our faith? Well, the answer is we need to be actively building and adding to our faith. It's time to stop just growing old and it's time to start growing up. And there's three different types of faith that we might currently possess right now. The first one I'm gonna call a hollow faith. A hollow faith is is a very empty faith. It's a very shallow faith. It's a faith that might say, I I believe there's a God. I believe there's something bigger in this life, but it really just stops at the belief. There's no sacrifice. There's no love. There's no loyalty. There's no no action or decision in that. In fact, James 2.19, James warns us of this type of faith. He says, so you you say you have faith because you believe that there's one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this. And as straightforward or maybe even as sarcastic as James' words might sound there, what he's saying is that faith, that, that just belief in, in one God, that he's there, that he exists, that, that's shallow, it's empty. The demons believe this. And there's no love from them. There's no sacrifice. There's no loyalty. There's no action taken. So it's a very shallow, hollow faith. And then the next type of faith is a firm faith. A firm faith is a strong faith, maybe even an unshakable faith. This is a deeply rooted and saving faith. This is a recognition that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, it justified us, it saved us, it gave us a second chance, and then we've committed our lives to him. And I believe that's the faith of a lot of us in the room today. Maybe we've made that decision to follow Jesus. He saved us. But what if it didn't have to stop at a firm faith? What if we could build that faith to the next level, level that faith up to an effective faith? You see, an effective faith is an overflowing faith. It's overflowing with the the love of Jesus. It can't help but affect everyone that comes in contact with it. It's going from experiencing God's love to sharing it with others, to be walking so closely with God that you just can't help but do something about it. That faith is is active and it's effective because anyone in proximity of this type of faith is gonna be affected for the better by it. So today we're gonna see our lives as building a structure, a structure of faith that will stand for a lifetime. And just like Noah building the ark, the first thing that we're gonna need like any construction project is to find the right supplier. We as dads, we can get handed some pretty messy projects, can't we? I mean, when stuff goes really wrong in the home, we gotta be the first to step up and fix it. And there's a lot of times that we attempt projects that we probably shouldn't, like we probably should call a professional for, but then that would be accepting defeat. So we take things on that we are not skilled to do. This happened to me uh, just this last spring. It was the night before Easter, and Easter is a big day for the church. Easter is a big day for me as a pastor. And so the night before Easter, I went to bed early to try to get some sleep, so I was rested up. 
And right as I was drifting off, my wife, Laura, runs into our bedroom. She said, babe, it's literally raining from our downstairs ceiling right now. This is not something you ever wanna hear, let alone right before you're about to go to bed. So I run downstairs. Sure enough, it's just pouring water through the ceiling. So I run upstairs and I start shutting off all the fixtures, making sure no showers or baths are running, that the water's turned off to the sinks and the toilets. I come back downstairs and the water finally stops dumping from the ceiling. And I think to myself, I can't deal with this right now. Like I gotta get some sleep. I can't fix this. I can't figure this out. This is gonna have to wait till next week. So I went to bed and tried to block out the work I had in front of me or the money spend I had in front of me. And that next week rolled around and my wife, Laura, she's like, hey, are you gonna call someone so we can use the upstairs fixtures again, like the toilets? And are you gonna call a contractor out? And I said, I, you know, I don't think we need to. I said famous last words. I said, I think I got this. Like, I'll handle it. So I called my buddy Brandon over and together we take down all the, the, the ceiling drywall that had gotten, gotten wet and we start looking at this pipe and trying to trace where any cracks might be in this piping and we find the crack, we, we run to, uh, to Lowe's, we grab some pipe supplies, we run back home, we try to put it up there, we realize we got the wrong size pipe, so we gotta run back to Lowe's, get the right size pipe, we run back home, we reinstall that, we turn the water on, the leak wasn't coming from there, it's coming from somewhere else, we go back to Lowe's, we get more pipe, we come back home, we realize we have the wrong tools to reach some of the piping that we needed, we gotta run back to Lowe's. I swear we ran back and forth between Lowe's 23 times. And you dads, you can, you can get me on this why does it seem like every home project requires at least three trips to the hardware store? Like it can't be done in one trip. I've just learned to tell the cashier, I'll see you in a few. Like I'll see you in just a bit, I'm gonna be back. I just know it. And at one point I'm up in our ceiling, I'm up three inches away from the sewage pipe because we realized the sewage pipe had a crack in it. So I'm trying to cut away the sewage pipe. Sewage water is spraying in my eyes. I cover my eyes, it's spraying in my mouth, the smell, I'm gagging. It's by the grace of God I did not fall off this ladder. And then I had to take four showers later that evening just to feel clean again. It was a messy project that I had no business trying to do myself. And it could have probably all been avoided had I just called a professional, like someone who had the supplies in the back of their vehicle, someone else that could get messy. I could have sat on the couch and watched sewage water spray in their face. I didn't have to handle that myself. And I bet Noah wishes there was a professional he could have called after God gave him the plans to the ark. I mean, I want us to check out this monstrosity that God asked Noah to build in Genesis 6, 14. It says, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then what? Construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. This was a big boat. Leave an 18 inch opening uh, below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Which quick side note, I want you to notice that in that verse, nowhere does it say that God gave Noah the instruction or the plans to build a steering mechanism for that boat. And the reason being, I believe, is that God didn't want Noah steering the boat. You see, God, he was gonna steer the boat. The same God that created the ark was gonna move the ark. He just wanted Noah to listen and obey. 
to have faith. And, and this boat was huge. I mean, I want you to imagine half the size of the Titanic. That's how bo- big this boat was. It had enough room for thousands of animals and for their food. And do you know who built it? Do you know what the crew looked like for this big build? It was Noah and it was his three sons. That's it. That was the crew. In fact, they worked on this for decades, a century. Some scholars would put the construction of the ark right around 120 years. That's dedication. That's a project. And if I were Noah, before I even got started, I would have had a whole list of questions for God. Like, where do I find this much wood or this much tar? Do, do you have a, a box with a picture of what you're wanting me to build on it? Like, can I have an example to, to see? Can I have a bigger crew? I mean, I've got me and three guys, my three sons. Have you seen my sons? They're not the, bri- how are we gonna, how am I gonna build this with these boys? But Noah, he didn't doubt God at all. He trusted him to provide everything he needed. And I believe that's the leading reason that he's praised in Hebrews 11 as being a hero of faith. Sometimes God calls us to do something that requires faith. But instead of trusting him, what do we start doing? We start questioning him. We start doubting him. We wonder how we're gonna manage. Where are we gonna get help from? Who can we rely on? God, am I even capable but Noah trusted God and let him take care of everything. God is the ultimate provider. Why? Because he has both promises and power. He has the the ability to say something and then he has the power to make it happen. And no one else can consistently do this in our lives. I could give you a check for a million dollars right now. I could write a check, here's a million dollars. And that's a promise. And you might think I'm a nice guy. You might think I'm incredibly generous. You might, I really like him. He just gave me a million dollars. But then take that to the bank and try to cash it. You, you might be disappointed when you realize that you can't. You, you see, that's the extent of my promise. I can't back it up with power. But when God promises, he consistently and always comes through. Always. In fact, I think this is the best indicator of the maturity of an individual's faith. It's their posture towards God's promises. Does your posture indicate that you trust him to come through? Some examples might be when you're up against a tough career decision or up against a big move. Do you trust God's promise that he has good plans for you? When you are stressed out about finances, you don't know how you're gonna get through the next month, do you trust God's promise that he's gonna provide for all of your needs? Or maybe you're a parent, you're tired, you're worn down, you don't know how you're gonna get through the end of today, you don't know how you're gonna make it tomorrow. Do you trust God's promise that if you come to him that he will give you rest? When you're overwhelmed with anxiety, do you trust God's promise that you can cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you? Or when you're facing temptation, do you trust God's promise that he'll show you a way out so that you can endure it? What God calls you to do, he also empowers you to accomplish. So trust his promises, believe in his power. If we wanna build a faith that's gonna last a lifetime, we have to trust that he will always come through. 
Trust his provision. Trust him as your ultimate supplier. And then the next thing we, want to, we need to do if we want to build our faith is that we need to follow the instructions. The summer before my senior year of high school, I went into the orthodontist to get my braces removed. And this was a glorious day because I had had braces all three years of high school, freshman, sophomore, junior year, and I was ready to get them off going into my senior year. I was ready for pictures to not involve braces, for just the feeling that my mouth would be comforted by not being cut up by this wire and these braces all day. It was a glorious day. I was ready for it. And I go into the orthodontist, and to make a, a long story really short, he, he lays me back in a chair, and he looks in my mouth, and he says, you know what? I, I think we need you six more months in these braces. I'm like, you're messing. He's like, I'm not. I'm serious. I need you six more months. I'm like, sir, with all due respect, like these have to come off today. I, I've scheduled pictures later today just to not have braces on in them, to know what that feels like. I need you to take them off. These got to come off. I'm, it's my senior year. He said, I'm sorry, as your orthodontist, as a, as a doctor, I've just got to make the call six more months in these braces. I went home feeling defeated, frustrated, but I was also determined to get those braces off. So what I did is I went into the garage and I got a pair of needle nose pliers and I cleaned those needle nose pliers up. I broke the wires on my braces off. I pulled that wire through and then I went by one by one on those brackets on my teeth and just snapped them off each of my teeth. Well, all the ones that I could. There were some that were so stuck that if I pulled any harder, I was just gonna pull the whole tooth out. So then I'm embarrassed. I don't wanna go back to the orthodontist and show them what I've done. So I schedule uh, an appointment with my dentist, an emergency appointment asking him to help me get the glue and the remaining brackets off my teeth. I don't even know what I told him as my excuse. I think I said something like, I just have a bad orthodontist. He did, he did a, a bad job removing all the braces. Whatever I, whatever I said, whatever I lied, I... It was a dumb move. It wasn't my brightest moment. The orthodontist had given me instructions that would have been best for me to follow, but because I didn't like the instructions or because I believed I knew better, I was impatient, I, I took shortcuts. I took things into my own hands. And these shortcuts, they could have been damaging. They could have been horribly damaging to my teeth. And I feel like right now, a lot of you are trying to look at my teeth to see what kind of damage I've done. I, it's all good. There was no damage. I figured it out, but... Noah didn't take shortcuts. Noah didn't question God. He didn't make excuses of not knowing enough, of being untalented, of being unqualified. He wasn't impatient. He was given instructions from God and then he followed them without question. In fact, check out Genesis 6.22. It says, so Noah did everything what? Exactly as God had commanded him. He did it exactly as God commanded. Noah is a great example that we can obey God's plans even if the world thinks we're crazy. And the world thought Noah was crazy. Here he is building a large boat, a huge boat for rain and a flood that no one had ever heard of before. I mean, he looked like a crazy man, but Noah wasn't trying to be popular with the world he lived in because the world he lived in wasn't popular with God. And we can learn something from that example. We don't have to be popular with the world. We only need to be popular with God. So even if you feel like you're the only one, if you feel like you're all alone, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our salvation, following God's instruction is our part. 
God has done his part. He's given us his power. He's given us his promises. But we still have a role if we want to see our faith build. We, we don't just get to sit back and relax. We don't get to just sit in our dad chair. Does anybody have a dad chair? Like the kids are in your dad chair. You're like, get up. It's my chair. Get out of my chair. Get out of my lazy boy. We don't get to just sit back and say, God, do your thing. Show up. Build my faith. I want a, I want a bigger faith, God. Just do it. I know you can do it. You do it. I trust you. No, if we want to see our faith grow, that takes a partnership between us and God. You see, our part is to follow the instructions given to us. So if we want to see that faith built, if we want to see a faith built for a lifetime, all we have to do is just look at God's instructions. I mean, just like Noah with the instructions to build the ark, God actually gives us an instruction manual for us to build our faith. And it's found in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. It says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, of moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. It's a seven-step instruction manual of things that we can add to our faith if we want to actively build our faith. And as we actively follow God, we're gonna start to see these seven things grow in our lives. This, this process is called sanctification. Meaning we don't get to just sit back, relax, and our faith is built. These seven things God wants us to add to our faith to build it. And each one leads to the next. That's why we can see them like steps in instruction manual. Let's go through them. Step one, that verse said, is moral excellence. This is striving for good moral character, having integrity in everything that you do, whether someone's watching or not. And then you can add to moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge translated back is ultimate knowledge, meaning seeking God's way through his word, spending time reading and praying every day. You can add to that self-control, which is restraint from unhealthy impulses. This is keeping yourself out of situations where you're gonna be tempted to do things that you shouldn't. You can add to that patient endurance, praying for boldness to keep going when faced with challenges. Remembering God's promises, praying for patience. This is simply saying, just keep going. You hang in there, don't give up. You can add to that godliness, living a devotional life through prayer, reading the word, fasting and meditation. This word means just being right with God. Then we can add to that brotherly affection, serving and loving your church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is loving each other with a brotherly love. And then finally, step seven is love, striving to love everyone the way that Jesus loves them. This is even higher than brotherly affection. This is the cross. This is sacrificial love for one another, for everyone. I wanna challenge you that if you focus on those seven steps, each one adding to the next, that each of these steps will help you build a faith that's gonna last for a lifetime. It's gonna help you take your faith from a firm faith to an effective faith. And that's the goal. We gotta build, we gotta get effective in our faith because if we follow God's instruction today, we're gonna find his purpose tomorrow. 
One of the leading questions I get asked as a pastor is, what's my purpose? What, what, I'm trying to really ask God what my purpose is, what my future is. Well, if you wanna know your purpose, focus on his instructions today and he'll reveal your purpose tomorrow. Robert Manry, he was an ordinary man with an extraordinary dream. He worked as a copy editor for a newspaper in Cleveland, Ohio, but he had been a man that always longed for an adventure and and for freedom. And he loved sailing. He had this tiny boat that he named Tinkerbell. And one day he decided to do something that no one had ever done before. He decided to sail across the Atlantic Ocean in his tiny boat. He planned his route carefully. He packed his supplies He told his wife and his kids that he'd be gone for a couple months, about two months, and then he set sail from Massachusetts to attempt this incredible journey. And he faced many challenges and dangers along the way. He encountered storms and waves that threatened to sink his boat. He suffered from seasickness and loneliness. He had to dodge Sharks and whales that came too close to this small vessel. He had to repair his sails and rigging that tore or broke. He had to ration his food or his water that began to run low. But then along the way, he also began to experience many joys and wonders as well. He saw beautiful sunrises and sunsets that painted the sky with colors. He saw dolphins and fish leaping out of the water stars and constellations at night that guided him his way. He felt the waves and the wind blow him towards his destination. And then he felt the joy of just being alone in nature that you can start to feel. And after 78 long days at sea, he could finally see the shore of England in the distance. The only thing that he could think about at this point after 78 days is, I need food, I I need water. And then I need a hotel room where I can sleep for like a week straight after a shower. Like I just need a shower and I need sleep. He writes that he was so discouraged. He was so exhausted after 78 days. But as he got closer to the shore, he could hear the honking of boats celebrating his arrival. He he could hear the cheering of a crowd, tens of thousands of people that showed up to welcome him to the end of this epic journey. His wife, his kids, they flew over to England to to meet him when he finally made his way to land. And in that moment, he says he forgot about the shower. He forgot about the hotel room. He forgot about sleep. He forgot about how tired he was. He forgot about how discouraged he was because the celebration just felt so good. I want you to imagine the day when you enter heaven and you hear the cheers of the crowd. I want you to imagine the day, the angels, God's glory welcoming you home. Imagine the joy and the peace that will fill your heart. In fact, you're never gonna regret anything you did for God in this life. You're never gonna regret praying and reading and studying and worshiping, serving, loving, obeying, growing, enduring. You're never gonna regret following Jesus with all your strength, even when it seems countercultural. So no matter how hard this life gets, don't give up. Don't lose sight of your heavenly reward. Remember who your source is. He's your father that makes big promises and then he keeps them. 
He's your God who works wonders because of your faith. He's your Lord. He's your Savior that will give you a hope and a future. And just like Noah, you're going to see his faithfulness in every situation. So keep building your faith from a firm faith to an effective faith. And then look forward to the greatest celebration of your life. See, Noah faced a great challenge when God sent that rain. The rain fell for 40 days, 40 nights. The earth was flooded and the ark drifted into the unknown for several hundred days. But God was faithful to his word and he brought the water down. Noah and his family, they were saved and God delivered Noah from the flood. And then God made a covenant to never flood the earth again. He displayed a rainbow in the sky as a sign of his promise. The ark was God's way of saving Noah. But the ark also foreshadowed Jesus who died for our sins, who's our rescue, who rose again so that we could have salvation. Jesus is our ark. And you may be sitting here today and you're thinking, I, I need a stronger faith. Maybe you believe there's a God, you believe there's something bigger to this life, but you haven't done anything about it. You haven't taken any action. You haven't named Jesus your Lord and Savior. You haven't surrendered your life to him. And if you're ready to do that, if you're ready to receive Jesus, if you're ready to receive that rescue, if you're ready to receive an eternal and heavenly reward of spending eternity with him in a perfect place after this life, then all you have to do is pray a prayer after me. So I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're ready to receive Jesus today, just pray this with your own words, but just repeat after me. God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know Jesus died for that sin on that cross. Providing me a way out. Jesus rose from the grave. I name him my personal Lord and Savior. God, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for your rescue. Help me take this hollow faith to a firm faith. Help me trust in you with my future. I give my life to you. And if for the first time, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, if you've named Jesus your Lord and Savior for the very first time, if you do me a favor and just slip your hand up in the air, just acknowledging before me, acknowledging before God that you're gonna follow him, that you're gonna have faith in him, that you're gonna give him your life. Thank you for those hands. If you're in online, if you're in a prison facility, just reach out to Jesus. Declare him your personal Lord and Savior. God, I thank you for these hands. I thank you for the work you're doing in each one of these lives. I pray you draw close to them, that you show them that they have a hope and a future in you. And God, for each of us in the room, let us not just sit idle in our firm faith, knowing that we're saved by you, but let us actively do something about it. Let us add to our faith. Let us build our faith, Father. Help us take our firm faith to an effective faith. Let us tell everyone we know about you, knowing that you're their hope, you're their salvation, and there's a world that desperately needs you. God, I also lift up the dads in the room to you. I lift up 
the sacrifices they make for their family, the leadership that they give their family. And God, even when we're weak as dads, I just pray that you let us lean into you, look to you as our ultimate example because you are the ultimate father. Let us lead our families like you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are a couple of things that I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe and review this podcast and connect with us on social media by following at Central Online. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Central. You can simply visit centralchurch.online slash give, and you can give a gift today. And thanks again for joining us on the Central Church Podcast.